Thanks for that. All right. My AV team, Tiffany and all, I forgive you. Um, and I, I, I must say, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, I can only be responsible for one of the human beings who just did whatever they did. <laughs> He's my fault. He's my fault. The other one, <laughs> I don't know whose fault he is. <laughs> that was something. Well, it's really a joy to be able to see all of you. Thank you for taking the time to come all this way for this weekend. I'm sure the Holy Spirit is going to meet you in ways beyond that which you have planned. And you're going to meet some people who are going to be significant contributors to your progress. So my hope is that if you came by yourself, you don't stay by yourself. You find somebody, connect with somebody, so that you can mutually benefit from one another's experience, progress, maturity, and maybe even find some help and weakness. I think we are always better together than we are individually. And this is an opportunity for us to practically connect. All of you are interested in worship, in song. Some of you are participants on stage uh, in helping to lead the congregation. And our hope is that we would all grow together in this. Now, there, there are some, some folks who are not a part of our Every Nation world here, and we welcome you. We're really happy you're here. Um, those of you who are part of our Every Nation world, we are growing in our experience of understanding what it means to worship God in song. Worship is much broader than worshiping God in song. Though we use the title, the, the, the name, the seven-letter word, worship, in order to describe what it means for us to sing to God, it's much broader. I think all of us know that. It, it typifies a lifestyle of orientation and lean toward God that we filter everything that we do through his word and his will. And our lifestyle should be that which worships, not just our Sunday morning or Wednesday night experience. But we are happy that you are here because there is something that really brings an element of concreteness, predictability, and ascension whenever we worship in, worship in song to God as a congregation. Now, when you do it yourself, it's really special as well. But there's something different about your own personal prayer life, your own devotional life, than when you come with the people of God. There's a concentration of focus and intent that is produced through unity that breaks through things that cannot be broken through on your own. An atmosphere is created that allows for things to happen that would not otherwise. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? And though atmosphere is not essential, it is important. There are times when the atmosphere is contrary to the Word of God and you still have to do the right thing. So there may be folks that persecute you because of your faith. That has no bearing on your response. You still need to worship. But when the atmosphere is conducive, when it's in agreement with your faith, it allows for God to do things on the inside of you and for you and your worship to have an, uh, an expression that's different, especially when you are combined with a lot of other people, that impacts the world. Paul and Silas in prison, worshiping, impacted the jail. Everybody was impacted by their worship and that all the prison doors flung open and people were ministered to. Folks got saved as a result of their worship and, and, and the atmosphere they created even in the midst of difficulty. 
Uh, put, put the slide up, if you could, please, Andrew and Charles. The slide you're going to see is a, is a, a picture of a, a straw that is stuck in a tree. Now, it's not the kind of straw through which you drink a Coke. It is a straw that has been dried out from hay, and it's the stem, and it is stuck in a tree. Nobody put it there. It flew there. It got there because a tornado whipped it around and put it in the tree at about 200 miles an hour. Now, the interesting thing about this straw is that if you were to press against it and push it against the wall, press against one end and put the other end against the wall and push, it would collapse. So how in the world doesn't it disintegrate when it hits the tree going at 200 miles an hour? There's a reason. Atmosphere. Air has weight. This is why when you get in an, in an elevator and you go up, your ears feel it. Because you are decreasing the amount of pressure by the weight of air on your body. And your ears pop. Same thing when you go down. You're increasing the amount of air. And you can actually see the air that is closest to the earth and the difference between the air that is high, far, furthest away from it from the earth by the way you look at the sun so at midday the sun seems mm, yellow almost white bright but as it sets same sun different color orange and the only reason it's orange is because as you're looking up you are looking up through thinner air there are fewer things to distract and diffract the light from getting to your eyes fewer molecules because as you look straight up the air gets thinner are you listening to me that's why when you go up on every, when you go through elevation, when you go up on, on a mountain, climb, get 15,000 feet, you can't breathe very well because there's not as much air there, not as much oxygen. But when you are down here and the sun begins to set, you are now looking at the sun through much more dense air because you're looking at it this way. And the air at the bottom, meaning that touches the earth, is much more concentrated because air has weight and it's sitting here. And so it's now diffracting the light that you, that you can't, can't see as well, and so it looks darker, but that darkness becomes orange. Air has weight. And we measure that through barometric pressure. How much is the air right now? How much does it weigh? When a storm hits, generally it's because a low-pressure system has come in that has allowed hot air to rise quickly and cooler air to come in. As the hot air rises, it takes a bunch of air with it and it decreases the amount of pressure on the ground. This is a science lesson. Are you still with me? <laughs> I'm going someplace with this now. So it decreases the amount of weight that the air has on the earth. When you have a tornado, the barometric pressure can actually go two whole degrees lower in 15 or 20 minutes. When that happens, everything that is on the earth that has been affected by the pressure of the air no longer is affected as much as it should be or would be. And so air is not just that which pushes it down, it's that which closes you in. It's all over. This tree was impacted by straw that was going 200 miles an hour 
that could impale itself because the pressure on the tree decreased and actually allowed the fibers, the xylem and the phloem, to do this. And as the tree began to expand because the pressure wasn't as great, the straw found a home. Atmosphere is important. When we worship the way we should, we decrease the pressure in people's lives. We allow them to feel that, wow, that thing I was dealing with when I came in, it was really heavy, but now I'm in the presence of God. It doesn't feel near as weighty as it used to. And as you decrease the pressure, now the word has its way in somebody's life. That which used to have a hard way of getting into somebody's hard soil now has some space. And it has the room to be able to lodge itself deep in somebody's heart. That's why our worship and song is the way it is. I'm not decrying anybody else's liturgy. But we intentionally stay in the presence of God singing the same words over and over and over and over and over and over again. So that you might meditate on the concept well enough. So you get it down in your heart deep enough. So you can respond right enough to your God. Opening your heart. And all of a sudden something happens down in here. That did not happen before you got in the room. Though God was with you out in the foyer. So if you're a worshiping song leader. Take that home with you. You can't create it. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can make this happen. But you can remove the impediments by, by allowing there to be excellence in all you do. You've got the worship and song, songs the way they should be. The band is synced with where the worship, the worship leader is going in the song. The AV team has got it together. The words on the screen match what they're singing. All those things are really important to people. They're really important to people. You remove the distractions. You sing in tune. I'm just saying. I mean, you, 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 might, you, might, you might be one of the best worshipers in song ever, but if you can't sing, you don't need a mic. You shouldn't even ask for one. You shouldn't. No, don't. Because you distract everybody else. God likes it. People don't. You remove the impediments. And then, and then people say, I got the words now. I, I'm, I don't even have to think about it anymore. I don't think about anything except him. And then you remove the impediments. And God doesn't have any... <laughs> There's, there, there's no barrier to him getting where he needs to be in somebody's life. Thank you for coming here in order to learn how to produce that where you are. Turns me over to Matthew chapter 9. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. The title of the message is On Earth as in Heaven. I'm going to have somebody shout to me and tell me when I need to stop. Really? I have that long? On earth as in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus is speaking, and he says, pray then in this way. 
Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us as we study your word. Three things in this passage I'd like to concentrate on tonight. One, how we pray properly. Two, when we pray, we need to have a parental focus. And three, we need to have a mindset that is provincial in its influence. The disciples are just getting into this thing of what it means to follow Jesus. They don't know everything it's going to mean. In fact, they don't know anything that it's going to mean. But they do know that Jesus has this unusual way of communicating with the Father. They don't even call him the Father. But they know he talks to God like they've never seen anybody talk to God. And they, they understand him to be a Messiah. The Messiah. Not just somebody who would save them from their sins, because they really don't know anything about that. But somebody who might set up a kingdom with him being on the throne, a kingdom that would have no end and there would be no, no cessation to its progress until it covered the earth as the waters covered the sea. And they wanted to sign up for that because if he was the Messiah, all the things in the Old Testament that talked about him sure did let other people think that they were going to be set for life if they followed him. If you just stick close to this guy, you're going to be okay. They didn't really know much about the spiritual influence that the Messiah would have. Yes, he was to be the son of David, but Jesus came speaking much more esoterically than pragmatically, philosophizing about how it's important for us to look at life differently. Blessed are the poor, for they shall, they shall, theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It looks backwards. What do you mean blessed are the poor? I, I'm poor and I don't feel blessed at all. Not, not one moment do I. In fact, everything I've read in my Old Testament said if you're poor, you're not blessed. I don't understand what you're talking about. Blessed are the meek. They, no, Rome has the earth right now and they exercise power. They are meek. They're running stuff. They got their foot on our neck. And you say meekness allows you the privilege of having more property? They didn't understand anything about how Jesus was coming with this version of the kingdom. And this is one of the reasons, among many, why God did not want his people to have a king to begin with. Because it would set the wrong example for when his son would come. Everybody would be expecting something that his son would not bring. So he reluctantly, time and again, tried to stay away from the concept of having a monarch. He had a, he had a justice system, so there was a way to convict people for crimes. He had a sarsodotal system, which was a system by which the priesthood functioned and worship was conducted. But there was really no legislative system except what God wrote down, gave, him, gave Moses his Ten Commandments, and then the common law on top of that that added some more commandments, and then case law on top of that that added more commandments. But once the commandments were given in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, there were really, really no more things to talk about. There were no more laws to make. 
And you surely didn't have an executive branch. Moses was a leader, but he was a judge, the ultimate judge. If there was a Supreme Court, it was him. He was a wonderful worshiper. But most of the leadership that was done was familial. There were 12 tribes, and you had 70 elders, daddies, grandpas, who would help lead the nation in the way it should go. It was supposed to be parental in its orientation, not monarchical. But the people couldn't, they just couldn't contain themselves, either by keeping themselves away from sin or wanting to be like the other nations. And finally, they said, give us a king just like everybody else has one. And they really did it wrong. I mean, there's no real good way to do it, but they did it especially wrong when they did it in Samuel's generation, who was the finest judge ever. Yeah, that's excluding Moses, but Moses, Moses really wasn't called a judge. He was just kind of the guy who, who started the mold of what judges would be. Samuel was outstanding, and he's the only one of the few people, there are a couple, but one of the few people in Scripture whose life we have from birth to death, and there's not one mention of a sin. There are a lot of people in the Bible that don't have mentions of sin, but nobody do we have over their entire lifespan, lifespan that did nothing wrong. And that doesn't mean he didn't do something wrong. It just meant God said, I ain't going to tell. <laughs> That's how great Samuel was. And you want to get rid of him? Wrong timing. David wasn't ready yet. <laughs> he wasn't ready yet. God let him have the king, but then from then on, Everybody thought, this is what the Messiah is going to be like. When he comes, he's going to be just like this. And he was nothing like that. <laughs> nothing. Righteousness and, and justice were the foundations of his throne. But his kingdom was going to be otherworldly. And so when the disciples said, teach us how to pray, oh, Jesus was waiting for that. Because it would be a lesson on what kingdom was supposed to look like. I know you want to be taught to pray so you can get your stuff. So you can get God to get on your page and answer your prayers. I know that's what you want, but I'm going to use this for something completely different. I'm going to make you some of my compatriots that can partner with me in bringing my kingdom to earth. You got to pray properly because praying improperly will only frustrate you because all you will ever hear is no. You've got, to, you've got to wire your brain to pray in the priority like Jesus says here. First, acknowledging that prayer is something you need to, you need to have as a, as, as a, as a normative practice in your life, not something that you use just for 911, not something you use when you need something, not something to employ when you're, you're happy, but something that is kind of akin to air. 
Paul says, pray without ceasing. And when we think about that, we think, how? Because we run out of words. Well, that's the problem. God's not really interested in listening to much of what you've got to say. That doesn't mean he doesn't want you to talk. He just knows what you're going to say before you say it. And prayer is much more about fellowship with him than it is about getting what you want out. Saying what you need to be said. Now, I do a lot of talking in prayer, but I do more listening than I do talking. I want to hear from you. I don't want my mouth to run all the time. Anybody know, know people who say they like to have a word with you? <laughs> An hour later, and you haven't said anything. You know, those people that just like to talk. What do you do when you see them when they come into church? You, you, you try not to make eye contact. You go sit on the other side of the sanctuary because you know they're going to take all your time. How do you think God feels? Here he comes again. <laughs> Just talk, 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 talk. Jesus is trying to figure out how to make us good communicators with God, not good talkers to God. Pray then in this way. And this prayer is never, was never meant to be a prayer that was prayed by rote. It was meant to be an outline into which you were to fill the most important priorities according to what was said at the moment. And so <clears throat> Jesus starts off with understanding who you're talking to. And this was radical. This was radical. Our Father. I mean, when the disciples were listening to him, pray them in this way. Dude, Our Father. Who's, who's daddy? <laughs> who's, da who's, who, who's, who's, who's daddy? You, you mean, you mean I'm, I could, I can call him daddy? It was so radical to them. It was an otherworldly thing to look at God as a parent, as somebody who cared for them that very well might have an inheritance for them. That wasn't just a lawgiver. That wasn't just omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. But somebody who really cared for them like their fathers did. Except better, our father who is in heaven. The one from whom all the molds of dads came. And nobody could live up to the measure of who he was. Father. We get to relate to him as children. Realizing we are, we are inheritors of, of things that he gives. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is thy name. Set apart is thy name. Different is your name. So just as Jesus was trying to help them become familiar with who their God was and how to relate to, to him as a son, he ups the ante in their understanding by saying he's different. 
He's different. His name should be revered. It's holy, it's pure. And you should never, ever take it in vain. Most of the time when we think about taking the name of the Lord in vain, we think of the third commandment. And indeed, it, 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 it is really important that we revere the name of God. But when we think about the third commandment, we think that, that for the most part, God is saying, don't say my name in such a way that it doesn't have meaning. Never use it as an expletive when you're angry. Don't say it tritefully. Uh, don't, don't say it flippantly. Because when people don't use the name of God well, when they want it to have the power to do something because they don't have the ability to believe that when they used it before, it had no power. They now have a difficult time believing that it's going to have power when they do use it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have power. It does. Just not when you say it. So it's really important that you reserve that name for what it means. It's holy. It's pure. There's no other name under heaven like the name of Jesus. But it also has another meaning. If a woman were to take the name of her husband after she says, I do, and then go find another guy to be with, that man would rightfully say, you took my name in vain. You Christian, you Christian, live right. You got his name, Christ-like. Don't take it in vain. That is much more substantive than just saying it wrong. Live right. That name is holy. If you bear his name, live like it. My daddy had a, had a number of things that he taught us. A few sayings that I remember. One of them was when I was incredulous about what he said because I just couldn't believe that what he said was true. And I said, really, Dad? He'd say, boy, if I tell you a grasshopper's a horse, get your saddle. <laughs> okay. Another one was um, I, I, I frequently exercise. And when my dad was living, he would see me run in the neighborhood. And as I'm running, he'd say, boy, remember, man's only got so many heartbeats. <laughs> Don't waste them on the street. <laughs> Every time he'd say something like that, I'd want to say, that's really wrong. But it sounds right. I don't know. I don't know what I do with that. <laughs> that was my dad. The one thing he would say regularly is, you're a fuller. Represent. When you go out of here, remember, you carry my name with you. When you walk out of here, you carry God's name with you. Don't take it in vain. Holy is his name. 
hallowed be thy name. And every bit of that, those first two lines, worship. It's all about worship. Posturing yourself in a way that glorifies him, gets you rightly related to him so you can properly think about who he is and what he needs to say to you and get your ears tuned to the right channel. All that is about worship. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are amazing. You're different. You're other. And I want to acknowledge that otherness in my life today so I can be different than everybody else with whom I come in contact so I can help them. I can be light in the midst of darkness. I can be salt to a corruptive environment. I can help change my world and make it better by being like you. It's worship. We've already kind of segued into what it meant to have a parental focus. Um, but then you've got the idea of, <laughs> of a provincial influencer, meaning there is something he wants to do on the earth that can best be done by people who carry his name. Now he is sovereign. He can do what he wants. And whenever he does whatever he does, it's always right. But he has chosen to make a standard operating procedure to work through men. And generally speaking, he doesn't circumvent that. He can, and every once in a while he does. But generally speaking, he works through human beings. And he's saying to the disciples, there's a lack. There's a lack. This world is supposed to be a reflection of God's good order. He made it for man, but he made it for man to use to give to him honor and glory. It's supposed to be something that serves him well. And everything we do here is to be an offering to him. All that we produce is to be that which glorifies him and thanks him for the privilege of even being able to produce whatever we produce. The entire earth is his, yet it doesn't feel like it, nor does it look like it. Chaos and disorder are the order of the day. Whenever something good happens, it's the unusual thing. So unusual that we report it. Have you ever watched CNN Heroes? The award show that comes on every year? They honor 10 people, give them, I think, $100,000 for their extraordinary efforts of serving humanity. And it's really great. I mean, you, you sit there and watch and say, that's outstanding. That person is really neat. That's great. But why in the world do an award show to talk about people's extraordinary exploits? Except that it just doesn't happen very often. If everybody did it, there'd be no need for an award show. Whenever good happens, it's the, it's the extraordinary thing. Because bad is always happening. Always. Nothing on this planet looks like what it's supposed to. And, and Jesus is saying this. When you talk to the Father, talk to him about this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask him for that regularly. Because mankind is messed up and the only way it can be fixed, man can be fixed, is if kingdom order comes into his life and helps him expand that to everybody else. 
No way man can be fixed other than God bring his kingdom down to do so. And his kingdom is not some artificial order. It's a rule, a set of commands that enter into a man's life, a heart, and change the heart and make him different. Make him a kingdom representative. We're not talking about more laws. There are enough of those. And every time we produce one, we prove how messed up we are because we break them again. Laws don't fix stuff. They restrain man to some degree, but they do not change the heart. And the only way you can change man rather than just his behavior temporarily is to change his heart. And so Jesus' kingdom is not about setting up a political order on the planet. I'm not trying to be political tonight, I'm not, and I'm not going there. I don't even have time if I, if I wanted to. I just want you to know that that has been tried by the church a bunch of times, and it didn't work very well. It just didn't. It's not a good thing when the church has to figure out how to tax people. It just doesn't work very well. And then wield the sword at the same When the church is wielding the sword, it just doesn't fit our philosophy, our, our theology about how to save people. We're trying to kill them. It, it, I'm just saying that it, it goes cross grain. You got some real dichotomous values there. And it's not to say that sometimes war isn't necessary. It's just to say somebody else needs to run it. Please hear me. In my heart, I'm a social activist. Deep down, I protest everything. <laughs> Y'all, I've been arrested. I've been arrested trying to save the unborn in sit-ins. I almost burned down my high school because they did a blackface portraying me as a football player with cheerleaders having my jersey on, painting their face in black. I went straight to the principal's office as a junior and said, that got to stop. Went to, they went to the superintendent and said, we got, a, we got an upstart black boy here. I said, yes, you do. I was the only black kid in the school. <laughs> All I'm saying is deep down, I tear some stuff up. <laughs> I got a compatriot back there. But I'm called to do something different. And I'm not mad at you if you want to be a social activist. I'm not. Protest. Do it in a godly manner. Be a good citizen. Do whatever you feel you need to do. My calling is different. If I become you, I have to sacrifice that which God wants me to do and say. I'm just different. That's all. Here, there's, there's, there's kingdom that I am to produce that cannot be produced in politics. Can't. No way you can take kingdom principles there. But the church, please listen to me. The church is supposed to be the institution that has the greatest concentration of kingdom principles any place else on the planet. No place else is to have the concentration of kingdom principles that the church is. Other places have kingdom principles and the kingdom is larger than the church. It's bigger than the church. And there are people who don't want anything to do with Jesus and don't want anything to do with the church. 
And they'll just take the kingdom principles because kingdom principles work. And they'll take a principle and say, I want to add this to my business because I realize diligence and hard work and honesty and caring for people are principles that seem to give me more profits. My, my, my bottom line gets more black. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And, and Jesus talked about that, the kingdom of heaven. He said, when, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Some folk just take principles of the kingdom because Jesus and John brought a principled-based idea about how the world should run best. It didn't come from a physical throne. And he brought these truths, and people are taking these truths and say, if I apply that, and I, I, I got, a, I got a, a, dear, a dear friend of mine who came to me one day, and, and, and I'm, I'm doing what I can to try to lead him to Jesus. And, and uh, he, he said, I, I feel really bad. So why? He says, because I, I want your family. I, I want your marriage. I, th- I think you want to, I, ju- I want to be like you when I grow up. I just don't want your God. Wow. I said, okay. Well, I'm glad you feel bad. <laughs> because feeling bad is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's where that comes from. And sooner or later, you hang around the riverbank, you're going to slide right on in anyway. <laughs> So I'm glad you feel bad, but I'm not mad about you taking the principles because I want you to be good. I want you to be better. I don't want you to be worse. And God allows for his kingdom principles to be borrowed, if not stolen, by others because he cares about humanity. He loves people. He doesn't want them to suffer. And however they can be better, he's good with that. Ultimately, though, I said to the guy, you need to repent and get born again. That's the only way you're going to find ultimate peace in your life. God wants his kingdom to come to earth. And the church is the best expression of how that happens. We embody it every time you come in a congregation. You enter into an embassy from glory. Our staff here is not trying to produce just a Sunday morning or an experience. We're trying to be an embassy of heaven. If you go to an embassy in France that's American, when you walk in there, you step into America. They have CNN on the the TV or Fox, whichever way you go. (laughs) They might have McDonald's or Wendy's. You're going to get a steak and potatoes. You will not find a croissant, not one, in the U.S. Embassy. (laughs) Not in France. Though you're in France, you won't find a croissant in the U.S. Embassy. When you come into a church... You ought to experience the fullness of the kingdom and nothing from the world. This is what Jesus is talking about. And when we begin to produce that here, we then leave from here to take it out there. And now you become an ambassador wherever you go of kingdom principles. So in your workplace, in your home, at your soccer kid, your kid's soccer game, You are somebody who is representing something much larger than you. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Just like it is in heaven. There are people who are satisfied with with bits and pieces of kingdom in their life. Namely, I'm, I'm happy to go to heaven, but I'm really not interested in changing here. And so they very well might be saved, but they don't make a difference. It doesn't matter here. 
we should be trying to figure out how in the world we can bring the kingdom to our lives and, and even, especially, if it's the hard way to go. As I close, there are times when I, uh, without complaining, my humanity shows through every once in a while. And though it probably doesn't deserve a tear, I sometimes get a little weary of building a church like God's called me to build. I'm not dissatisfied. I'm just reporting to you again, not complaining. A multi-ethnic church is not easy. You're always dealing with cross-currents, cultural norms that everybody has about how church ought to be. Sensitivities that you have to navigate around constantly. What do you say when an event happens in America that needs addressing that you have black folk and white folk in the same room and a, a young black man got shot by a white police officer? What do you say? How do you say it? Well, you've got to parse that thing out in such a way that probably both sides are real mad at you because your kingdom you're not trying to appease the white folks and you're not trying to identify with the black folks your kingdom and if it happen, if the truth happens to appease or identify it's only because it's kingdom I'm kingdom before I'm black I'm a son of God before I'm African American if you don't like it you ain't gonna like me but that does not mean I compromise on issues that need to be addressed. It just means I'm always looking at it from a biblical perspective as best I know how. As best I know how. And taking out the offense that is in my soul that might want a pound of justice and trying to figure out how I can make him who is an enemy now an advocate. By winning them rather than seeing, hmm, I got to stop. I got to stop. I, you're you're going to really be mad. I mean, if I keep going. <clears throat> Kingdom. I sometimes tear up. Because I say, Lord, it'd be so easy to do it with people who look like me. We could all agree on the same thing and I wouldn't have to dance around nothing. I wouldn't have to figure out how to fashion myself in kingdom orientation. But then I say to myself, yes, I would. Because if I'm a disciple, I'm always going to come from a biblical perspective. And... I say this, I'm glad, I'm a little sad about having to work to build the best way I know whereby kingdom is expressed with great concentration in ethnicity here, just like it is in heaven. I'm glad I'm sad about that rather than being sad about not doing what God wanted me to do. I'll take this tear, this difficulty. And remember, doing kingdom well, bringing kingdom to the earth is always going to be hard because it grows, goes cross-grained to everything we do and everything we think and everything we say. It's going to be hard. But not doing it is harder. Doing it is hard, but it always reaps great benefits. 
You get, ble- you get a church like ours, which I love. I, I love my house. I love my house. You get great friends. You, you, you wind up being able to be trusted. You, 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 you work with reconciliation constantly, and so you're always trying to forgive, and you wind up having more friends than you do adversaries. It works. It's hard, but it works. When you don't work it, it's hard, but with consequences now. You just have to figure out which hard you want to do. Because it's going to be hard one way or the other. Bring God's kingdom to earth through prayer. Ask him, Lord, let your kingdom come and do it this way. Let your will be done in my life first. Just as it's supposed to have been done in heaven if I were there. Can you say amen? Lightning, wow. (laughs) That was magic. Lightning doesn't know when it's going to strike until it gets 150 feet from the ground. When it gets 150 feet from the ground, there's a charge from the earth that comes up to meet it. When you pray like this, You're the charge, and the lightning is attracted to you. Father in heaven, have your way with us, please. Help us to desire your kingdom in our lives, and that without impediment. All we want to do is make you happy every day. Bring a smile to your face every day. Bless these folk who have made it this far in Jesus' name. Amen.